Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jordan, and I'm one of the folks that serves on the preaching team here at Missio Day Church. Um, and uh, one of things, kind of fun things that you should know about me is that I'm a huge James Bond fan. Um, I, it kind of started in middle school. Um, I would have this routine in middle school every time I would go in the cafeteria, um, and it was time to get the lunch. You had your choice between skim, 2%, and whole. So when it came to me, I would say, I'll have 2% shaken, not stood, because I was a real winner. Um, so one of the biggest debates amongst us 007 fans is who is, which actor is the best Bond? That's a debate for another time. But there's no question that there are some actors who played Bond who get far more press and attention than other actors. For example, Sean Connery, he gets a lot of attention for being the first Bond although technically he wasn't. That's kind of a fun, nerdy tidbit I'll tell you later. But Sean Connery gets attention for being the first Bond. Uh, Pierce Brosnan was known as kind of being the most suave of all the Bonds. And Daniel Craig, obviously, he gets uh, a lot of attention because he's the most recent iteration of Bond. But how about George Lazenby? Who? Exactly. George Lazenby is an Australian actor who played Bond in just one film on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And that was it. He was kind of a blip on the Bond radar, wedged in between the Sean Connery films and the Roger Moore films. And so he didn't get, he kind of got overlooked and he didn't get a lot of attention. Our text this morning is kind of like the George Lazenby of the Book of Acts. Like George, it doesn't get the attention of a Damascus Road or um, uh, the Day of Pentecost or even the Martyrdom of Stephen. And I think that is probably the first time in history that George Lazenby has been correlated to the book of Acts. This is a historic moment. I feel like we should do something. So I'd like to thank the Academy. I'm just kidding. Um, But this text does reveal something that I think is vitally important and should demand more of our attention. Uh, This is our 11th week in the book of Acts uh, as a church. We took a break for uh, the season of Advent. Uh, This morning, we're going to look at Acts chapter 9, 32 through 43. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and pull that out. So Acts 9, 32 through 43. Here's what it says. Now as Peter went here and there among all the believers, he came down also to the saints living in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. So I love that Peter, he heals him, but he's also a neat guy. He says, hey, make your bed. Now, I know for you Bible nerds, that's not not what that means. I know. It's just just a joke. Um, He says, Peter, get up. Or he says to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and returned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in her room, in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing, and, and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. 
he turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. She, he gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This came to be known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon a Tanner. So after a bit of an absence, we catch up with Peter as he's going from town to town. And we find him with this man named Aeneas, who happens to be paralyzed. And Peter heals him. But unlike in Acts 3, when Peter heals the beggar on his way to the temple, with this one, there's not much uh, uh, fanfare or public uproar. It's a very simple, one-on-one, intimate moment. And we really don't hear from Aeneas again. This is not to say that the, the healing of Aeneas meant nothing. Because the text tells us that as a result of this healing, and because people saw Aeneas up and walking, the people of Lydda believed. Then we're introduced to a woman named Tabitha, or in Greek, Dorcas, who we learn from both the text as well as what other scholars tell us, that she was known for sewing garments together and distributing them amongst the poor of her community. She falls ill and dies. Peter is summoned, and he raises her from the dead. And that's it. We don't really hear from these two. They're two very ordinary people, nothing to write home about. Now, I'm not saying that what happened was normal, whatever normal means. Uh, but I mean, if, if someone read those nine verses and said, man, that sounds like a pretty normal day to me. Uh, someone raised from the dead, paralyzed dude healed. That's like a standard Tuesday for me. Uh, I'd like to hear more if that's you. It's not normal because of what happened, but it does seem normal in terms of who these things happened to. Very ordinary people. Here's what's fascinating that leads me to an observation that I want us to see from this text. According to the book of Acts, there is no other person in the early church that gets raised from the dead except for this woman named Dorcas. This begs the question, why? And why would Luke, the author of our text, include this in his account? Why Dorcas? She was just an ordinary woman, one of probably many in the early church. Why not someone else? Why not raise Stephen from the dead? In fact, if Stephen were raised from the dead, that would be even far more effective in terms of the growth of the early church. Because remember, there's an entire crowd around Stephen. Can you imagine? They stone him to death. Stephen falls dead. And then Peter comes in and raises him from the dead. The whole crowd would undoubtedly proclaim, Jesus is the Messiah. I now believe in hundreds would come to faith. But that's not what happened. Instead, Dorcas is the one chosen for this unique movement of God. God's new creation project had plans that were very different from what you might expect. And the plans of this project in and through the early church would be carried out by very different people and the most unexpected of people. The fact that Dorcas is the beneficiary of this singular event in the post-resurrection movement of the church, and the fact that Luke would record this in his account of the early church, it tells us something. It tells us something about the nature of this new Jesus-shaped new creation life made possible through the power of the resurrection. And here's what I think it means. In God's new world, the risen Jesus reshapes the ordinary into the transformative. Our culture 
tends to shed light on and give attention to the big, the dramatic, the watershed event, the big movements that attempt to bring about large-scale systemic change. But this is also true in our church culture. We love big worship band events, large rallies where hundreds come to faith, uh, going to Africa to work with YWAM, planting a church in a remote, unreached part of China. Now, we as a church just sent out the Scavdal family to take part in big kingdom things in Gabon. So please hear me when I say this. The things I just mentioned are all beautiful, big, and significant things that are important and, and needed in God's new creation movement. But so too are the Dorcases of the world who sit at home and faithfully sew garments to distribute to the poor. I think that by raising Dorcas from the dead, God is revealing to us the reality that because of the victorious Messiah at the empty tomb, new creation is bursting forth in both large ways and in seemingly small ways, and that both are significant and both are important. Fulfilling the Lord's prayer of the kingdom coming on earth as in heaven is not just reserved for a select few who are doing the so-called big kingdom things. It is for every follower of Jesus. The early church transformed the world in so many ways. And my guess is that a lot of those ways were probably unseen, done by the Dorcases of the world. Acts of new creation bursting into this world are a part of what it means to follow Jesus. And our text this morning reminds us that the size and scope of those acts do not diminish their power or significance. Because it was Jesus himself who said that the kingdom of God is like yeast. It's like a mustard seed. Both of which are small. But yet both of which go on to produce fruit far beyond its original size and scope. So if someone were to come to me and say, Jordan, I want to go and plant a church. I would say, what an amazing dream. How about you start by being faithful to the church that you're already in. To love and serve those people well first. Jordan, I want to go build a well in Africa. That's an incredible vision. What if you started by building relationships with folks in the African refugee community here in Portland and learn how you might love and serve them. Jordan, I just read this book on race and I want to go out and fight systemic racism all the way at the top. What a beautiful display of God's justice. But how many people of color would you call your close friends? What if you started by getting to know the stories of people who have experienced racism firsthand, who live right here in your own backyard. Do I say these things to discourage the courageous big figure of the entrepreneurial spirit? No, of course not. We need prophetic voices. We need visionaries. But we also need people who have a Jesus-shaped vision for the day-to-day life of faithfulness right in front of them, right where they are today. We need someone like Stephen, but we also need someone like Dorcas. One is not more important than the other. Both together bring about new creation, and both would receive a well-done, good and faithful servant. Even Dorcas has a seat at the table 
of the kingdom coming on earth as in heaven. A little over a year ago, I uh, read a book called uh, The Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren, and I would highly recommend it to you. And there are several quotes in that book which, which are, are powerful, but, but there are a few that I want to share that I think speak to this conversation this morning. Here's one of my favorite quotes of the book. Everyone wants to start a revolution, but no one wants to do the dishes. This quote highlights the fact that sometimes our thinking within the church can tend to elevate the big revolutionary events and see those as the kingdom things and see everything else as the dull, mundane, everyday life. We need both. But I think it's safe to say that we have tended to elevate the former rather than the latter. Both are new creation. Both are spaces for God to bring about his kingdom, and both are needed. She goes on to say, the kind of spiritual life and disciplines needed to sustain the Christian life are quiet, repetitive, and ordinary. I often want to skip the boring daily to get the thrill of an edgy faith. But it's in the dailiness of the Christian faith, the making the bed, the doing the dishes, the praying for our enemies, the reading the Bible, the quiet, the small, that's God's transformation root, that that God's transformation takes root and grows. She then says, "This this this is key, listen to this. Repentance is not usually a moment wrought with high drama. It is the steady drumbeat of a life in Christ. And therefore, a day in Christ. Friends, every stitch that Dorcas sewed in those garments was a steady drumbeat of a life in Christ. And although it may not have been heard by everyone, the Lord heard the drumbeat nonetheless. One of the, um, one of the rhythms for me as a full-time Young Life staff person, is that I'm required by Young Life to take a day of solitude once a month. So I go down to uh, the Marie Joseph Spiritual Center, which is a um, Catholic retreat house right on the beach in Biddeford. It's awesome. And I've been going there for the last six years, so I've gotten to know some of the nuns there, and I kind of have my my favorite nuns. I don't know if you're allowed to have favorite nuns, but I have favorite nuns. Um, And so I make a point every time I go to kind of sit with my posse of nuns and kind of chit-chat and... um, uh, and they've gotten to know me. They ask how Emily's doing and how the girls are doing, how Young Life's doing. And every time I'm with them, I'm struck by how simple and centered and peaceful their lives are. They're excited about a new group that's coming uh, in the afternoon or a puzzle that they just finished or a garden that they're going to build in the spring, in the summer. You will probably never hear of these nuns unless you go there to meet, meet them. They're not going to be TikTok famous, I promise you. But some of them have been there for 20, 30, some 40 years, faithfully praying every day for all of the guests that are there, for their church, for the world, for the poor. They faithfully every day take the Eucharist and read the scriptures and pray and prepare their their, their, uh, their house for guests to come who are in desperate need of rest and restoration. Steady drumbeat of a life in Christ. You probably don't know 
the name Vijay J. Raman. Vijay J. Raman is on my Mount Rushmore of men who have forever changed my life. Vijay grew up in India, and he uh, was at a boarding school where uh, foreign missionaries would come. And there was a New Testament that was left on his bed. And so over time, he just read this New Testament. And one night, he got down on his knees, and the best he could understand from reading the New Testament gave his life to Christ. He, during middle school and high school, Vijay would sneak out to the library to read the Bible because his family, if they found out that he was following Jesus, it would be a huge deal. So all throughout middle school and high school, he would sneak out to read little bits of the Bible and take notes and stuff it in his pockets and hide it in his room. And then before he went off to college, he kind of came out to his family as a follower of Jesus. And it was forever ruptured, his relationship with his family. I met Vijay when I was a sophomore at UC Santa Barbara and uh, at Santa Barbara Community Church. And Vijay and I would meet for breakfast and for lunch. And I learned how to pray through Vijay. Not because he says, hey, Jordan, here's how you pray. Because I listened to him. I watched him. I learned what it meant to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Not because he said, this is how you do it. Because I just watched him. How he would love Jaylene and his girls. Vijay and Jaylene kind of uh, subtly and kind of incognito would, would help financially people in the community that just lost their jobs. Including me when I first came on Young Life staff and I was broke as a joke. And they, they would help house people that just lost their homes. Vijay has memorized more scripture than, I've ever, than anyone I've ever known. He's memorized the entire book of Colossians and half of Romans. He'll take weekends to fast and pray for his wife, for his family, for his business, of how he can give more of the money that he's made from his business away to other people, to missionaries, to other people. And on top of it, he has a PhD from MIT. Ever heard of it? It's, like it's kind of like the SMCC. Vijay is the type of guy that will be in the back of the room that you'll never hear about. But he has forever transformed my life and so many people. The steady drumbeat of a life in Christ. I'll bring it even closer to home for us. Ken and Linda Jones. They have a life of this sort of network of ministering to people, mentoring people, providing wisdom and discernment uh, and mentoring relationships with, with, with couples that have forever changed so many lives across this community. I mean, their ministry on Monday nights, it's unbelievable. The fruit of their ministry, including me. I mean, I've asked Ken to sew me garments forever. He still has not sewn me a garment. Come on, Ken, sew me some garments. Be a Dorcas. Ken and Linda are the steady drumbeat of a life in Christ. Just because these folks will never grace the cover of the New York Times or Christianity Today does not make their life any less significant for the kingdom. Our Western economy works in a hierarchy of value, but God's economy is always in the business of reversing our values, just as the resurrected Jesus reversed the power of sin and death, and as Paul said, made a public spectacle of them. The nuns, the VJs, the Ken and Linda Joneses, the Dorcases of the world are reminders of what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. 
they are reminders that the mustard trees and the big loaves of bread were both made possible because of the small, seemingly insignificant seeds and yeast. So friends, if you're here this morning and you struggle with thinking that your life somehow doesn't have the same kingdom significance as others that do so-called big things for the kingdom, our text this morning is a reminder that it is more significant than you know. And that's not from anything that you've done, but from everything that Jesus has done. Because Jesus stood victorious over the grave, he has inaugurated an explosive movement of new creation that has and will continue to reshape the big and the small things of life. But Lord, help us if we focus on one and neglect the other. So my hope and prayer for Missio Day Church in 2021 is that we would be a people who are bold and courageous to do those so-called big kingdom tasks, but perhaps even more, that we would be like Dorcas, Vijay, Ken, Linda, and those nuns who see their lives not as ordinary, but as a Jesus-shaped faithful movement of long kingdom obedience in the same direction. Let's pray. Jesus, it is because you stood victorious over sin and death and stood outside of that tomb that we are here this morning. It is because of that singular event that new creation has been launched. 2,000 years ago in the book of Acts and even now in 2021. In large ways and in small ways. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here this morning that has a sense that their life is quote-unquote ordinary or insignificant, that, that their life can't really have any kingdom significance. I pray that we would be reminded by your servant Dorcas, who was faithful, that we would find ourselves faithful to the tasks that you've given us right in front of us, that we wouldn't just fall in love with the big and the audacious and the courageous, but that we might fall in love with the tasks that are right in front of us for us to do, the people that are right in front of us for us to love, the community that we live in right now that is right in front of us, ready for us to serve. So in 2021, may we be people who have a long, faithful obedience in the same direction, that we might hear your voice saying, well done, good and faithful servant. So we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will be done in both the large ways and in the small ways. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Jordan. Um, yeah, Robin, Robin Betsy, you're going to come up and grab some communion elements. We're going to turn to taking the Lord's table together now. So they'll come around and just indicate to them how many cups you need for your table as they come by. But I always try to give something to meditate on or think about as we take this together. Wait, wait until everyone has a cup as well before, and I'll, I'll guide us through. But um, in light of everything 
Jordan shared with us this morning, it strikes me that right now we're most of us, if not all of us, are kind of forced into living an ordinary life at the moment. There's not a lot big happening, not a lot of travel, not a lot of celebrations, not a lot of things like that. So um, it's just so timely. I'd encourage you as you take the cup, as you hold the cup, think about the body and the um, blood of Christ. I encourage you to, to pray. Um, ask the spirit to illuminate for you what, what ordinary things are you can do this week in the spirit of worship. Um, what ordinary things will we be up to this week that you can do um, as if unto the Lord? We all have those. Um, we all have dishes to do. <laughs> we all have uh, emails to write or whatever it is for you. Um, but take uh, take the cup. I think everyone has it. Now take the cup, open the top, take out the wafer. And as you do, consider consider Jesus handing the bread to his disciples the last night of his life and saying, take and eat, take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's what we're doing this morning. Pray with me. Lord, as we take this, uh, these communion elements together, I pray that we do this in a spirit of a community, of a family, of your family who's been adopted. And Lord, I pray that we would be acutely aware of your spirit this week as we go about our ordinary ordinary activities, ordinary lives, um, that we would do it all in a spirit of gratitude and a spirit of worship because of who you are and what you've done. So Lord, as we take this uh, this juice and this cracker, such simple things. Um, I pray that our hearts and our minds will be pointed back towards the cross, towards the glorious resurrection, displaying the, uh, just displaying the um, utmost depths of your love towards us and your willingness to bring about a new creation, even in the ordinary things. In your holy name we pray. Amen.